Hello, Merry Christmas, and welcome to episode 38 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and I don't know about you, but getting to this stage in the year always feels like a release valve. We run super hard building our brands all through the year, leading up to the frenetic sales season, all on top of a hectic time of year with events and family commitments. And I'm sure this last week has felt like you've been staggering to cross the line. So as you head into the holiday period lull, it's important to give your brain and your body some downtime. Reconnect with family and friends, reconnect with nature and reflect on the year that was. So in this episode, the final show for 2022, I thought it'd be a good time to look back over some of the interesting and memorable things that have happened over the past 12 months in the sustainability space, as well as encourage you to look back and celebrate your own year of accomplishments. So with that, let's start the show. Twenty twenty two for many of us has felt like another unexpectedly different year in what seems to be a trend of ongoing new normals. Moving into the post pandemic world hasn't necessarily been the smooth transition we were expecting, with rising geopolitical challenges, the economy paying the piper for all that pandemic stimulus, and ongoing supply chain dramas that make you want to pull your hair out. So my first topic to reflect on for this year is How have the changing conditions affected consumer sentiment towards sustainability? We know it emerged as a key focus during the pandemic, but has that fallen away as people transition back to getting on with their daily lives, especially now that they're challenged with the double squeeze on spending from inflation and interest rates? The good news is that several reports came out during the year indicating that both consumer sentiment and consumer intention towards sustainability was as strong as ever. Indeed, continues to grow. The IBM Center for Business Value released a report back in Q1 indicating that in 2022, 80% of consumers say that the sustainability is important, 50% say they're willing to pay a premium for sustainable products, and 62% say they're willing to change their purchasing habits to reduce the environmental impact which was actually up from 57% in 2020. Another survey conducted here in Australia by Nine and iCrowd DNA showed a shift in consumer expectations away from the reliance on government to act on climate change and towards brands delivering a more sustainable future. 74% said they wanted brands to lead the way and make bold moves to help them live more sustainably. Yet fully 40% said they were unable to name any brands that were effectively doing that. So please do take note of that disparity if you felt the need to hold back sustainability messaging for your brand. Consumers want you to be taking action and helping them do better. And the only way they're going to know about that is if you communicate it. The report also highlighted that consumers want to see progress, not perfection, which goes back to the running theme through this podcast, which is that sustainability is a journey. And one more research report from the second half of this year, LEK Consulting ran a survey across consumers in the UK, US and Australia and found that rather than diminishing in the light of economic turbulence, Consumer expectations on brands for sustainable solutions continues to rise, with 60% of people saying they were looking for products that avoided certain materials, with plastic being the main focus. More than 50% of consumers surveyed said they would still be willing to pay more for sustainable products, even in light of economic pressures. 
So my take on all that is that we've hit a tipping point with consumer attitudes to sustainability this year. Despite all the economic turbulence and uncertainty, consumer demand for sustainable products, their expectations on brands to help them buy better, their willingness to make changes to support the environment, and even their willingness to pay a little bit more is greater than ever. Talking of consumer sentiment, Nielsen published a report this year showing that only 50% of consumers trust the environmental claims made by brands. And that's hardly surprising given the number of big brands that seem to get picked up for greenwashing. A case in point from this year is Sukin, a much-loved Aussie icon in sustainable personal care space. They're currently in a high-profile legal battle over their claims about being carbon neutral. Allegedly, they've been using the carbon neutral logo in their labelling and marketing without getting certified or doing the work to reduce their footprint. And as we heard from Richie Mulder a couple of weeks ago, that kind of behaviour is almost guaranteed to get you in hot water, not to mention stoke the fires of greenwashing suspicion among consumers. So it's been good to see regulators like the ACCC start cracking down on that this year. In May, the ACCC officially announced that greenwashing was going to be one of its major focus areas for the year, and they followed that up with announcements of a big internet sweep in August. Their focus has largely been on carbon-related claims more than anything else, which is not surprising given that's been the government's pretty much sole focus on sustainability for decades. It's good to see them taking action, assuming that action actually does come from it. They report targeting around 200 websites in their sweep, which doesn't seem like many in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, it's not just here in Australia that we've seen action being taken on greenwashing. Some big moves in Europe this year, too. It might be an eye-opener that this is even possible, but under existing classifications, fossil fuel production could be classified as green energy in the EU currently, meaning that fossil fuel projects could get funding through green investment schemes. So it was good to see MEPs call that out as greenwashing and vote to change that back in June. And more broadly, the Council of the EU has been investigating the mixed bag of sustainability claims in big business, finally giving the green light to implement the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, which will harmonise sustainability reporting standards and increase accountability for big business to track and report on how their business operations are impacting the environment. But the fashion industry continues to be front and centre in relation to greenwashing through this year. The big notable news from the year related to the fall from grace of the HIG index, one of the leading tool sets for sustainability measurement in the apparel industry. On the face of it, the index seems to provide a very comprehensive analysis from materials through supply chain impact, industry standards and ethics. It would seem to be a tool with vast potential to address most ecological and social concerns currently plaguing the fashion industry. However, when something seems too good to be true, it often is. It transpires that not only does the index favour synthetic fabrics over natural fibres on the sustainability scoring, but it also goes a step ahead and rates polyester as one of the most sustainable fibres in the world, leaving behind cotton, silk, wool, bamboo, hemp and just about every other natural fibre. 
Perhaps that isn't surprising, given that the big name brands leading the Sustainable Apparel Coalition who designed the index have a heavy, heavy reliance on polyester. But earlier this year, the research underlying the index itself was called into question, leading the Norwegian Consumer Authority, the equivalent of the ACCC here in Australia, to implement a blanket ban on the use of the HIG index for marketing and in garment labelling. What portent that has for other parts of Europe and the EU remain to be seen, but it certainly opens the door for independent sustainability assessments. So my take on all that is that providing third-party certification to prove the sustainability of your products and improvements that you've made into operations is important, but it isn't going to be sufficient to win the hearts and minds of your consumer base. I'm quite sure that cases like the Hig Index and Sukin will continue to crop up and continue to undermine consumer confidence in the trustworthiness of badges on their own. The best way to support your brand story, therefore, is going to be backing all that up with ongoing active transparency. Now, the drama surrounding the Hig Index was certainly a big moment for the fashion industry. So let's reflect on some other big moments from the past year. For me, one of the defining moments in the history of purpose-driven brands came in September this year when Yvonne Chouinard transferred complete ownership of multi-billion dollar brand Patagonia, not to his family, not to external shareholders, but to the planet. And as Yvonne himself puts it, Earth is now our only shareholder. That doesn't mean they've made Patagonia a not-for-profit. Instead, all the company's voting rights are transferred to the Patagonia Purpose Trust, ensuring a structure that will live beyond Yvonne to continue his purpose. And the balance of the non-voting stock was transferred into the Holdfast Collective, which will use every dollar received from dividends to protect nature and biodiversity. An absolutely epic moment. Very much on the flip side of Epic, and in many ways even more of a nothing burger than usual, we saw another COP conference come and go. COP27 in Egypt actually ended 40 hours later than planned, as attendees tried desperately to come away with something positive to talk about from the event in the form of the Loss and Damage Response Fund. Fundamentally, rich developed nations will pay reparations to the nations affected the worst through climate change. Contentiously, it also brings in emerging economies such as China, Russia, Saudi Arabia and other OPEC members that are now amongst the biggest historic and ongoing contributors to the environmental change problem. But none of them think they should have to pay. And the final wording of the agreement leaves that point very much open to interpretation for now. Interestingly, Australia's global presence at the table has been recognised again thanks to the federal election change this year, and it seems we might be seeing COP31 down under in 2026. Another big moment that I have significantly more hope for, in March this year, the United Nations Environment Assembly passed a resolution to end plastic pollution. An agreement described by delegates as the most significant green accord since the 2015 Paris Climate Conference. The treaty should complete sometime in 2024, but the landmark agreement this year paves the way for the first global agreement on plastics production. And elsewhere in politics, there are a number of other big wins for the environment around the world in 2022. The federal election here in Australia probably being the first. There's no doubt that the swing to Labour, but perhaps more notably, the remarkable success of so many independent candidates was built off the back of environmental policies. Australia has spoken. 
But we also need to look over in the states where Biden's contentious Inflation Reduction Act was signed in August. Among other things, it authorized $369 billion of public spending into climate and clean energy projects and a further $135 billion in tax credits for renewable energy adoption to stimulate the EV market. And we mustn't forget Brazil's significant power shift election from a president seemingly bent on slashing every investment and every environmental legislation rule to one who promises to achieve zero deforestation by 2030. Another big moment here in Australia, albeit on a smaller scale, November saw the collapse of the Red Cycle recycling program. Red Cycle is an independent business that works in partnership with over 2,000 supermarkets across the country to provide public soft plastics drop-off points. But when a fire at seemingly the only major recycling centre in Australia set up to handle soft plastics shut down processing of this collected material, it just started piling up ultimately leading to the program being suspended. Now, like many, I have a huge amount of sympathy for Liz Castle and the Red Cycle team. They've led a growing movement and awareness around recycling and implemented a very effective collections program on a national scale. But it has forced us to ask serious questions around the viability of recycling in our infrastructure here in Australia, including the demand for recycled plastic. So it was good to see more action being taken by the new government to explore circular with the formation of the first ministerial advisory group on the circular economy at the end of November. On announcement of the group, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek said, better waste management and more effective recycling are insufficient in reducing waste, meaning the country must design out waste in the first place and make better use of recovered resources. Hear, hear. In any case, there's been a great deal of forward momentum with regards to single-use plastics this year, both here in Australia and around the world. In January, WA led the way, with bans coming into force on a variety of single-use things other than plastic bags, including straws and cutlery and various polystyrene food containers. Other states have been following suit too, with a phased rollout plan of single-use plastic containers, straws, cotton buds, as well as other things like microbeads used in soaps and detergents. Typically, the bans are neither aligned in timing or scope from state to state. So while you can find a plastic straw in Sydney, you could still be serving them in Melbourne until 2023. Still, progress is great to see and a huge step forward. And it's great to see other countries doing this too. India got in on the act in July by banning single-use cups and straws. And as I was preparing for this podcast, the UK government announced it too was getting ready to extend its single-use bans to include cutlery and plates. By the end of this year, Canada will actually have made it illegal to import plastic bags or any plastic food service items at all. There's also been a fair bit of PR about the progress made with confectionery wrappers, which until recently are largely plastic and non-recyclable. In June, Nestle announced that their Kit Kat wrappers sold in Australia were going to be made of 30% recycled plastic, and they further picked up a number of awards in July for their emerging recyclable packaging on Smarties containers. In September, Amcor, the makers of the Cabri wrappers, said they were following suit with 30% recycled material as well. Now, if you think the messaging around these brands going green just because they've popped in 30% recycled plastic into their wrappers is more than a little greenwashy, you won't be alone. 
I'm not a material scientist, but I can't understand why with the resources these giant brands have, they can't come up with something better than a token effort of using a bit of recycled plastic. So on a more constructive note, last month, Mars Wrigley announced that all of their chocolate bar wrappers will be either recyclable, reusable or compostable by 2024. I knew there was a reason Mars bars were my favourite. Now, there were so many more good news stories from this year, I can't possibly cover them all. But here's a quick summary of some of the stories I thought were interesting. I'll put links to them all in the show notes if you want to explore them further. In good news for replanting efforts, an Australian startup called Airseed is building an army of drones that can help speed up tree planting by firing up to 40,000 seed pods per day, potentially making reforestation projects 25 times faster and 80% cheaper. For the first time in a long time, the Great Barrier Reef has seen an increase in hard coral growth and less bleaching in 2022. In fact, it's shown the best signs of recovery this year than any other time in the past 35 years. It's also got an extra 500 million in funding from the federal government to protect it, which is great news. And global growth in wind and solar seem like they might finally be on track to meet the 1.5 degrees C warming target. The Netherlands, Australia and Vietnam having seen the fastest pace in growth this year. For the first time ever, renewables produced more energy than coal in the US in 22. And in October, renewables were actually announced as powering 100% of Greece's power needs for most of a day, 46% in the month overall. France has banned short-haul domestic flights where a 2.5-hour rail journey can replace them and made a new rule that all public car parks must have solar panel roofing. Scientists have discovered a type of waxworm that can actually eat plastic, which could be another massive string in the bow of the plastic pollution problem. And finally, more boffins from the US have discovered a 50% drop in harmful chemicals in the ozone layer, which means that the nefarious hole letting in harmful UV rays could heal itself within the next 50 years. So now let's turn our minds away from reflecting on what's happening outside and reflect on and celebrate the things that you've accomplished in your own sustainable brand this year. It's time to feed your soul with the awesome things you've done, both large and small, as well as fill it with gratitude for the people, places and things around you that have made it all possible. So take a few moments now to reflect on your 2022. As entrepreneurs, we run hard all the time. And I know it can be so hard to remember all the things that you've done in your business through the year, particularly the good things. So here are some questions you might like to ask yourself to jog your memory. Don't worry, no one has answers to all of these questions. But even if you can answer a few of them, that should give you a nice little glow heading into your rest period. What impact did your brand have this year? What economic targets did you achieve? What projects did you deliver that move your brand forward? What new products did you bring out that make your customers' lives easier and help them live more sustainably? How many more customers did you influence this year to buy better? What difference have you made in your team members' lives? How has your brand's growth helped other people in your supply chain? What advances did you make in the materials you're using? What changes did you make to reduce your carbon footprint? What suppliers did you influence to cut down on plastic packaging or improve the way they do things? What recognition did you get from outside your organisation? 
That could be in the form of awards or nominations, an industry shout-out, or just some great customer feedback. Go back and have a look at your best reviews from raving fans. When you've worked through that list and you've got a nice list of accomplishments, both big and small, turn your mind to gratitude. What things have enabled you to do what you did this year? What devices and software tools made you more efficient, allowed you and your team to work remotely or to connect with new people? What platforms gave you access to new customers or suppliers? And above all, who are you grateful for and why? Who are the people whose tireless and mostly thankless work let you do what you do? Who looks after your customers and takes the lead on looking after the heroes in your mission? Who connected you to new people this year that you might not have met otherwise? Who is in your life now that enriches you as a human, whether that be love or friendship or intellectual challenge, or has helped you grow in your skills in work and play? Take the time to appreciate them internally and then make the time to thank them personally for everything they've done for you in 2022. And on that note, I want to say thanks to you guys for listening. There are so many amazing shows out there, and I sincerely appreciate you all listening to this show through this year. We're already planning out season three, and I'm actively seeking feedback from you for that show. I'd love you to tell me how we can shape it to help you even more. What guests would you like us to have on the show? What topics should we cover in more detail? I have an active post on LinkedIn where I'm calling for your feedback and I'll put a link in that to the show notes in this episode as well as on the podcast page, but it's also pinned to the top of my LinkedIn profile if you'd like to have your say. Now we'll be back on air in the third week of January at a new time of 3.30pm on Mondays instead of on Fridays. So until then, have a wonderful Christmas break and a happy new year and in January, get right back to the important meaningful and necessary work of building your brand for a healthier planet.